Aboard the Orbital Sword. I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Maximus Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're reviewing Caliban's War yes. by James S.A. Corey. I love this book. Yeah, I did as well. Yes. I I am a fan of this series. This and- this this series. And again, so this is our second book in the series. I have just started book five. Because I just absolutely can't stop. Cannot wait. And it is, uh, it is just good. They're they're all. They're, I'm not finding any of that I don't like. And uh, this has to be almost one. Of, it might be the best series we've read. Mm, wow. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. Wow. In my in my humble opinion, unbiased opinion. But. Wow. Well, let me just do a quick, brief summary of what we've got going on here. Yep. The end of the last book. They launched the proto-molecule into Venus. That's right. And it started doing some crazy things. Well, it's still doing some crazy things in yeah. this one. And uh, Miller Miller died there. He went to, he helped take it to Venus. Died. And died. And uh, what we're left air with. Air quotes here. You can't, air see quotes. It, can't see it in the podcast, but air quotes. Go ahead. So we, we meet back up with Jim Holden and his crew of Naomi. Alex and Amos on one, uh, on board the Rosinante, and they're um, they're kind of like well, I wouldn't say freelance, but they're basically pirate hunters, kind of protecting the belt. And uh, I can't remember how long it's been—a couple months, maybe a year. It hasn't been long since the end of the last book. And over the course of uh, the story, Mars and Earth, the tension is heating up there's going to be a war between the two lots of stuff going on amongst it all little girls kidnapped and uh holden and his crew get wrapped up in that and of course because it's a series of books the proto molecules involved and uh some crazy things happen along their way to try and find this little girl and uh can they thwart a war in the process that's the story and there's bobby and there's bobby yeah bobby and yeah, uh that's good yeah i like that's a nice summary david thanks good, good job good job so uh what what you guys think i mean you were so reading it i mean you probably kind of have you listeners have an idea what we're feeling already about it but uh jim let's start with you reading the second book in the series how did it grab you uh, what did you think of this book um honestly i i don't think i enjoyed it quite as much as i did the first one but this is uh, uh, this is uh, shaving, uh, uh, splitting hairs, really, uh, when I say that, because I, re- I really enjoyed the book. I like the other perspective of, of new characters coming in, um, especially uh, Avasarala. Oh, oh, my gosh. What a feisty I'll tell old. you what. She's awesome. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh Went through it pretty quickly, and looking forward, actually, to reading the next one. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. How about you, David? 
Um, okay, so I think I liked it as much, if not more, than the first one. And I think one of the big reasons is, is and it's not a detriment um, to the first one at all, um, but one of the things I noticed, and I don't know if this carries over, is the, the start of the book is, I don't know if non sequitur is the right word, but it's like it's like something, it starts a plot that's unrelated to everyone else. At least in the first book, it's like when it was like the, Proto molecule getting, um, what's her face? The girl. Yeah, Julie Mao. Julie Mao at the very beginning. And it took like half of the book to come back to that. And I remember in hindsight, I liked it, but while reading it, I was really annoyed because I was like, I don't really like what was the point of the beginning thing? Trying to remember what happened there with everything that came along. This book started off like that. And I thought, okay, well, going to be a while till I figure out what's going on with this little girl. But then like very quickly, they just, they established little girl was kidnapped and here's the father. Like, we don't know why she's kidnapped. Right, but that's but, okay, but there was there was there was connected relevance right. very quickly and I was like, "Oh, I like this so much better than the way the other one was." And I think he was able to do that because it is a sequel and most of the characters were pre-established or most of the 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 you know, the crew was pre-established. The crew is pre, but everybody Abasarla and Bobby and um um you know Braxy Ming, you know, they are not. Right. They're all in the middle. But Holden's the main, Holden's crew is like the main draw. Yeah. And and, and they were pretty. So um, I, 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 I loved the story. I really enjoyed um, everything involved with, uh, with how that, I thought it was very well written. I, there was no point during this book where I was bored. I would agree with that. Yeah. So yeah. My, my thoughts on the book? Um, I loved it, as you probably gathered by now. Um, it was an excellent follow-up. I don't know that I looked at it and said it was better or worse than the first book. It was different. In the first book, you're following only Miller and Holden. Here, you follow actually one, two, three, four, at least four different character focuses uh, between Abusarla, Bobby, uh, uh, Praxi Ming, uh, and then obviously Holden and his crew. And so we, we kind of shift the focus around. And what I love seeing in this book is what I love seeing in the first book. You're following Miller and Holden. They're separate, and suddenly they come together. Mm-hmm. And you see the same thing happen here, where at first Abusarla and Bobby kind of hook up. Um, and then, you know, Paraxi Par- Ming, and uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the name right, um, but Ming and... Um, and uh, Holden hook up, and then they all hook up together. Um, and I and I like I like the way because I'm always like wondering how these characters going to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was done so well, so well in it. And and by and this is one of the first books in a long time when I read the last sentence, I almost flipped my table and said, <laughs> "I got to get into the next book." <laughs> because of the last line, that, yeah. that flipping last line. Yeah, I, I yes. <laughs> because we, I mean, and it, we'll spoil it here. I mean, because Miller's nowhere in the book. He's referenced a gazillion times, but nowhere. And the final line is Miller standing in the Rosinante saying, "We have to talk." Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, we've, we're like, what? Someone spoiled that for me. Blue and sparkles. I, and the blue sparkles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yep. disappointed to have that. I, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew he came back. Yeah. So I was, uh, so, you know, it, it held together for me. And I really, 
loved Caliban's War. I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic um, follow-up to the uh, Leviathan Wakes. One of the things mm-hmm. I was realizing while reading it is it has the makeup of all the great sci-fis that I love. And you were just asking me um, what kind of sci before we started, like, what kind of sci-fi do you like? Because we were looking at different books to read. And, uh, like, the stories that I connect with and love the most are almost always stories where a ragtag group comes together and becomes a crew of a ship. And, and you know, you've got this. Like, Farscape is one of my favorite sci-fis ever. Um, I mean, Star Trek has my heart, but Farscape's anything outside of that, it's Farscape right away. And it, and it's or Cowboy Bebop. I mean, these are all these are all like crews that had an objective, but then more people kind of slowly joined them, who just happened to join the crew for one thing or other. Or they they're there for a little bit. Like while reading this, all I kept thinking of of these characters, who's going to stick around? Like, and I I was like, Praxis is probably going to wind up being part of the crew. He just seemed like he was going to, and and he he's not, but he I could see him coming back, and and I have a lot of guesses that at the end, like Bobby's going to wind up becoming more of the crew in the next one, um, just because of the way it kind of left off. She was somewhat open ended uh, as to where she was going, so um, I just I really connect with those kind of stories. I don't know why, but um, and it's hard to define. You never know. You can't look at the cover of a book and say this is going to be like that, right? You, you put. But yeah, but yeah, no, it's 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 excellently, it's well done, well done, and so that's mm-hmm. my my impression. Uh, love this book, and um, and I couldn't stop as I mentioned the guys earlier. I'm book five now, and and uh, I was telling David earlier, and I'm not going to spoil anything because you guys will be reading it. But minor characters from book one and book two show up as major players in book three and four. Yeah, he's talking yeah. about specifically like the. The arm and chest chamber that was crawling on the floor. Yeah, yeah, one, that, that, that becomes a major character, right? Right. <laughs> and now, and, and um, yeah. And well, since we're talking about characters, we might as well just go right on. Hey, yeah. be, before we get into characters, does anyone know why it's called Caliban's War? Uh, has, isn't Caliban like uh, it, like another word for the devil? So, Caliban is a Shakespearean character. Okay. Who was half human, half monster? Okay, and um, and uh, is he's forced into servitude, um, and while he's referred to as a moon calf or whatever, a freckled monster, he's only human, inhabitant of an island, and otherwise that doesn't have any humans. But he's considered a freckled monster. So I think Caliban's war—it's the war of the protomolecule and these creatures that they've created. Mm. is my uh, taste, but it's, so that's my... Wasn't that kind of like an I Am Legend situation where, you know, it makes him out to be the monster, but then he's probably just, because he's a freckled human, basically, is what they're saying? Isn't that how you you read that? Everyone else is the monsters, and he's just a human. It becomes, um, they treat him harshly, um, and what did he say? That... He had t- apparently this Caliban character attempted to rape a character, mm. and um, he confirms this gleefully, saying that if he had not been stopped, he would have peopled the island with the race of Calibans. Ah. So you you see some of the echoes of that in the proto molecule yeah. looking to, you know, take over, right? Right. Um, so I don't know. There's you definitely see why 
why they've titled it Caliban, at least in some way. It shows, yeah. it shows a very literary understanding of the role of Caliban. You ever think of becoming yeah. an English teacher? No, no. I, I was thinking maybe more music teacher. Oh, okay. Well, you have to love the lute for that. I, I, no doubt. <laughs> and it's good that we have the lute master <laughs> yeah. here on the show with oh, us. Oh, <laughs> I wondered when this was going well, to start. It, took, it, it didn't take long. <laughs> no, it sure didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's talk about characters, so, Jim. Yeah. Yes. At any rate, let's start out with James Holden and his crew. Uh, you know, it, again, here comes James Holden, very self-righteous, has some great ideas, and it almost costs him uh, a very nice relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because according to Naomi, this guy has done a turnaround and uh, he's more like Miller than he is himself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and you see that in Holden that this, his experience at, at, at Eris Station has changed him. And mm-hmm. and his experience with Miller has changed him, and not necessarily for the better. And Naomi puts her finger on it right away, and it just takes him a while to realize it. I think even the audience, it takes a while to kind of see it. For well, me. yeah, it, it, we have to kind of see it maybe through the eyes of Naomi, right? Talk about how to do character growth. This is a prime example. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love this series. Yeah, it's it, this. It's, the story is great, but the characters are phenomenal. Yeah, it's like here you've got this guy, and and you could guess he's he's struggling from PTSD. You, I mean, you can guess all these things, and you can have other characters say that, but the way that the character slowly discovers it for himself, and and mm-hmm. and realizes the consequences of the way that he's acting. Like personally, not just like, oh, you know, what I do makes, you know, these people sad or whatever. It's like, if I continue down this road, I'm going to lose everything on a personal level, not like right. a universal level. Right. And, and just how he kind of has to work through that. He's constantly, you know, constantly reminding himself, you know, Naomi says this, am I acting that way right now? Or right. am I acting like myself? Like, which, which part of me is driving uh, the 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 body right now, I this yeah. is so good. I mean, take note. Any other author, Kim Stanley, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, take note. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I hear that, and and I and I agree with you. I think, and we, we talk about that. You see the same growth happen in Bobby in this book uh-huh. because she's dealing with PTSD. Holy crap! She loses everyone, her entire crew, and she's like the only one that survives a basically a hit by this protomolecule creature right yeah and she's trying to deal with it right and so part of it is her is her her story of that but you definitely see that echoed in james holden and yeah and Mm -hmm. and in a a much smaller sense with the rest of the crew as well oh yeah 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 Yeah. because they had to deal with that to some degree you know alex and amos in my mind had quite a bit of character growth in this um Especially Amos, because in the first book, I never got an impression of him having any compassion. He was just, you know, he was a gunslinger, and that was his thing. 
But uh, you know his resa- his uh, relationship with Prax. Oh my gosh, was yeah. was really neat, dude. You don't. You, this is one kid. This is one guy you don't mess with if a kid's involved. Yeah, yeah. Like, he right. will rip your heart out. Like when well, he went, he was, when, when he went after that hacker with can with of the meat, can. and you know, I'm like, I'm like, like stop, you know, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, even then. After Prax was accused of molesting May, uh, Amos told him, you know, if you, if this were the truth, you'd be dead. Right. Yeah. 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 He really questioned him about it, too. He said, you know, this is not true. So, yeah. So, yeah, we find we find out that Alex is a crack pilot. He is. Maybe. Maybe one of the best out there. You know, one of the things I do appreciate, and you're right, in book one, the focus was really on Holden and maybe Naomi. Naomi. Uh, and we didn't see so much Alex and Amos. And you do see a little bit more here in this in this, um, in this, this book. I was going to call it an episode. In this book. And books down the line, you get, a, you get even more. It develops even more. And you know that there's a deep past that Amos has, and actually a lot of them have that they don't talk about. Oh. And um, but uh, I agree, Alex and Amos definitely are the crew. I just I love the camaraderie of the crew. I just yeah, think. well, and and not only the camaraderie, but how they are loyal to a fault to James Holden. I know. You I know. know, he gave them the opportunity to jump ship. You know, okay, guys. You know, you 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 can be on your own if the, if you want. You know, I can't afford to pay you anything. They said, no, you're the captain. You're going to stay the captain, and we're going to stay with you. Right. And that was uh, that was an, almost a tearful moment in the book. Yeah. Yeah, and the, is this a book that they incorporate the Rosinante? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they incorporate, yes. mm-hmm. and they all like. Everyone just stays their same roles. They just decide to officially become a corporation of some sort. Yeah. Well, then they're, they're well, going to yeah. vote on things. Which you end up not doing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they don't have a heck of a lot of choice yeah. since uh, Holden got himself fired <laughs> by yeah. Fred Johnson. That was uh, sweet. I was a nice a few moment for rest of Fred Johnson. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, when I first read that and, and Johnson said, you're fired, I went, now what are they going to do? And then Holden goes out and he cheers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah, finally they're fired. Well, and I think that that's the one thing that's established early on is that working for Fred Johnson over the past year had changed Holden. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just what happened at Eros Station. It's what, it was working for Fred Johnson, the jobs that he was doing. And this, this allowed him to redeem, to redeem himself. Well, working for Fred uh, would put anybody in in quite the precarious position. The butcher of Anderson Station. (laughs) Well, not only that, but, you know, you're automatically allying yourself with someone who has a lot of nukes and uh, Earth and Mars, neither one, are very happy about this situation. Yeah, so you find yourself caught in the middle of a real three-angled furball. Well, plus you have to look at the work he was doing. He was hunting pirates, basically hunting people. 
So you take someone dealing with the stress of of being a survivor and stuff, and then you give them a job where basically they just hunt people. I mean, that would weigh. And James Holden really is not a killer. Yeah, not that he killed them, but he's still hunting people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well. And then, as you say, you know, Detective Miller's presence is all the way through the book until until of course the very end spoiler alert here you know <laughs> yeah no he is he is in the ship at the very end yeah yeah but he actually you know through throughout the whole book he, miller is a is a spot of contention that holden you know holden's getting himself in a little trouble over right right should, should we talk about uh, prax meng and and his uh people yeah absolutely sure. let's do that because it's one of the yeah. driving forces that brings it gives holden and the rest of the people we're going to talk about a reason to do what they do yeah yeah so prax is prax was the father whose daughter gets uh kidnapped right uh at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book and he was a botanist and he slowly loses himself to the struggle of trying to find his daughter right uh, yeah, and to the point of desperation, so that he's so yeah despondent. He's just like eating like decorative plants to survive and not taking care of well, himself. Yeah, yeah, just just to stay stay uh, nourished. But you know, he he really does. He he does this swing all the way through the book. You know, he's obsessed with finding his daughter, but. Wait, wait, you know, wait. He, Where have we heard that before? Someone obsessed with finding a girl. <laughs> oh, that was book one. That was book one. No. <laughs> oh, no, that was David. No, I oh, don't know. <laughs> well, hey, that's the story of David's life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you're going to be some desperate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Prax moves back and forth. He's obsessed with finding his daughter, and then, you know, he he says, well, she's probably not alive anyway. And this is always in the back of his mind. So, but he doesn't, he's not going to give up the chase, but he feels like it's probably hopeless. And it just, it just swings for this guy back and forth. And that's got to be miserable. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, he's, he's kind of like, and this is the only analogy I can make since I don't have children. It's almost like he's a, a a druggie in a way, and that like he starts to get better, but the minute there's a chance that he could be with something with his daughter, he loses self control, self aware, situational awareness, and like nothing he can get between him and and his and his girl. Yeah, including his health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, he seems he seems all right. I forget what they, where they're at at what point. Oh. When they're going through the tunnels, and at that point he's kind of like butched up and and seems to be doing seems to have his head on his shoulder, and then the minute he thinks he's on the other side of the door, he's just like I'm ready to to open us into airlock or whatever to get through to, to right. find out if she's there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you definitely see that struggle. That's a uh, I mean, can't, I can't imagine me a parent losing a kid. Yeah. I mean, I'm a parent, but if my kid was lost, you would do everything you could to find them. Where are your children right? Yeah, downstairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, he he didn't have the money that it was going to take to hire a professional to do this. So, you know, hey, 
pulled into the rescue. Yeah. Goes on to crowdfunding. <laughs> I know, I know. He has his Kickstarter and voila, it goes it goes ape crap, you know, all over it the does. Place. I mean, the guy he he raises millions. Yeah. And uh then all of a sudden that is cut off. It is and because he start- of his wife, Nicola, who starts a smear campaign. Yeah. Yeah, he starts getting death threats and he you know He's like, What do I do every- with this crap? Yeah, and and what what did I do to deserve this? And uh, come to find out, he's being accused of being a molester, right? And and oh my goodness, yeah, which um, which you can imagine how distraught that would make you feel, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. But you know, we can't we can't before we before we move on from Prax, we do got to talk about Merton. What is it? Is it Bas- Basia Merton? Basha Merton, yeah. Basha Merton, uh, and his son Katoa, who him and his wife and daughter or, or some other kids are, they decide to leave Ganymede because they think Katoa's dead. Yeah, well, he does turn out to be dead. but Yes, but not when he's left. That we know of. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's one of those situations where Prax's situation is very different because he has one child, and then you've got Basha, who's got several children left and it's at, he's at the point where he has to keep take care of them as well and i guess you'd have to make a call yeah you know? i mean you know it, you know do you pursue the one to sacrifice all yeah i mean the situation in ganymede was going was going was going to hell to quote um spock <laughs> the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, wrong show. Uh, next. But but you see, this offended Prax big time because whether it's you one think child Prax was offended or, by that? Do you think, Jim? Oh yeah. How do you know yeah. that? How do you do that? <laughs> he got up and beat the snot out of Boxia for one thing. <laughs> he tried. Yeah. Yeah. But it you know, um Prax in in his diminished state uh hey it doesn't matter how many kids you have this is your kid you know you 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 go out there and you find your kid and you take care of business and basha just seemed to be ah well you know i've got all these other kids everything and prax wasn't having any part of this yeah yeah i think that's when he first kind of starts to realize how far he's gone Right after that, because they were good friends, Prax yeah. and him. So yeah, yeah. And this was well, the only guy until that. Yeah, this was the only guy willing, still willing to help Prax at that point. Yeah, was willing. Yeah, until he got hit. Yeah, but all right. Other characters, Jim. Well, Roberta, uh, Bobby Draper. I like. Bobby. You know what? The first thing that blew me away about this was her description in the book. Because of course I have watched The Expanse, and it, on on The Expanse, Bobby's not real tall; she's quite stocky, uh, just tough as nails. Uh, and then Roberta has been uh, gr- has grown up in low gravity, so she's very tall and Amazon like, according to what I read in the book. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how they 
arrived at on the expanse how they arrived at hiring the little girl to play that part see it all makes it all makes sense in Caliban's war they justify it by low grab increasing height they, where people grow up is definitely affecting them mm-hmm. uh physically yeah. and, and it, it makes sense you aren't you aren't hindered down by by uh by gravity um, yeah I thought it was interesting you chose the words that the description of her blew you away because she was blown away at the beginning too. <laughs> oh man. She's this this is one tough little girl. Uh, I'll just say one tough little marine. She can eat concertina wire and piss napalm in in, in a heartbeat. I'll tell you what. And uh she is just she's so interesting and awesome and uh and tough. There were so many good moments with her, like, mm-hmm. you know, when she's, you know, and, and throughout the book, like when she's sitting in and she's assembling and disassembling her gun and doesn't realize she's doing it a gazillion times a day to uh, when she, like, gets out of the U.N. and ends up tracking the one dweeb that's Abbasarla's that he ends up, you know, ratting on and and then Soren, her, be- yeah. her becoming uh, Abbasarla's assistant. And working her way up the ship, you know, the the mal ship, and then uh, in the end, I mean, she has so many good moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you know, all she wants to do is be a marine. Yeah, that's it. That's it. In her and, super suit, you know. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, through the entire book, it just seemed like they were just throwing stuff at her left and right, <laughs> and she's just fighting it off. You know, and I thought for sure in that one. Uh, one battle she was in with the vomit zombie. Uh, I love that term, by the yeah, way. That's I hilarious. Know. I know. <laughs> uh, but that one battle she was in with the vomit zombie, I thought she was done. Oh, I, me too. I figured for sure she was toast. They were like writing her off. <laughs> but nope, nope. She uh, she came through. As far as we know. Yeah. As far as we know. Well, what a mess. I mean, for crying out loud, she survives the bomb. She survives that and and winds up on her feet and is Avasalara's assistant because Bobby is the only person left that Avasalara can trust. Right. Mm. Yeah. And since you're talking about Avasarala, we should just talk about her. Oh, yeah. But what a I don't, what a this is this character was such a caricature for me. It was it was, you know, this you picture this small woman in a sari with a with a mouth that would make any the worst sailor blush, you know, and yeah, and and she has balls and she commands attention and holy hell, yeah. I like the just just a position of um, like when she was with her husband. Yes, and, he and, grounded her. Yeah, the poet, and how <laughs> she wasn't nearly as hard with him, and and yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, well, like the description of her time with her grandkids. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and this is this is a really really nice person. But don't back her into a corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She knows how to because, play the game. 
she knows in the ins and outs of the game, and that's exactly how uh, Bobby was referring to her political um, goings-on, uh, that it was just a game. And Ava Solara, she admitted that's what it is. I know how to play this game. Yeah. <laughs> I did like at the point where she was like, turns to Bobby and she's like, remember how uh, you said I would tell you that you told me so. She was like, this is that moment where you, yeah. <laughs> where yeah. you, you definitely told me so. Right. Right. Well, and she, she, she's she willing to be wrong. To, yeah. Go ahead. She knows how to, how to wield her power. Uh, probably that's probably one of the most uh, appealing things about her. Um, you know, and then, She's she has definitely got two sides, and which is the the real person? Who's to say? You right. know, uh, just don't get on this woman's wrong side, as Soren found out. We, you know, and the other part of that is she genuinely cares for the like she cares for the people of Earth, and I think partially because she's a grandmother and she thinks about her grandkids living there, but she's. She's doing stuff to save some of those people. She's not needlessly taking out people just to get her objectives. Right. Well, see, she sees a war that nobody in the solar system can afford. It, it It's going to cost way too much in material and lives, and she knows this cannot happen. So her, her obsession is, to try to stop this any way, any possible way she can. And of course, in the background all the time is what is happening with Venus. And, yep. and it, it looms there for a long time until it kind of comes to a head at the end of the book. After, after we've avoided a war and, and all this has gone on and then, then Venus kind of asserts itself. Right, right. The whole time she's really just trying to find like a, a zero sum equation that that works for for everybody because she knows it's not like a war can't be avoided, but what can both sides lose to gain peace? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and well, she it, it's like with the with the Mars people. She's like, you know, come help us, and you'll be seen as the Mars people that helped, you know, that not only attacked the attacked when they needed to, but also saved the UN when they needed to. So, right. Yeah. Well, she has to assert herself the way she does because Esteban Sorrento Gillis, the secretary general, is an absolute jellyfish. He is. Yeah. Nope, he is. And and I, I have zero respect for this person and how he ever got. Uh, he's just a figurehead. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. You know the the it, because he is not keeping control of the military, and you know we get this renegade admiral Naguyan going off the deep end, bound and determined to start a war. Wow, it's like they were—they're just obsessed with using the proto molecule as a weapon, right? And they won't listen to any reason about it at all. No, and they didn't. And everybody from the first has book. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it just seems until until of course they accidentally infect themselves with it in the end. But Yeah. But even even then that wasn't going to stop Naguyan from firing on Io. Right. Right. I mean, you know, he's he is he is going to start a war. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And he's not going to hear anything anything other than that. Thank goodness we had Admiral Souther and uh, and Holden step in and save the day. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Or there wouldn't be a third book. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the only other character that really stands out is we have Julie Mal's dad. It's kind of a catalyst in all this, or he's yeah. not a catalyst, but there's a vehicle there, both literally, and he seems to be a player, a major player in the field. Yeah, well, I guess they kind of hinted that in the first one that he was involved, right? With, but he uh, kind of, uh, you know, gave enough up that he didn't implicate himself, right? But and, now, now yeah. it's too much. Yeah, puts her, puts uh, Christian on the on the ship, and kind of, kind of kidnaps her. Yep, and uh, Bobby saves the day yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I but like, when I, he bows out and decides he's not going along on this trip that he was supposed to go along on. Right. right. That that sent up red flags all over the place. It's like, oh, boy, now <laughs> what's going to, you know, know what's gonna this happen is here. not a good situation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I like the way that he was treated at the end, like how they kind of disposed of him, of put him in jail and erase his legacy. Yeah. And that would do the much most damage. Erase his legacy, huh? Yeah, no one would even remember him as a martyr or a, or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. So uh, that that I think that's a pretty we, we we talked about characters quite a bit, but I mean, again, one of the things for me that drives this novel is the characterization of these characters and how how well they're built. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I guess the only other thing, the only thing that's not a character, but I think before we move on to plot points, uh, is to talk about the proto molecule and how that's changed and developed in this. Um, I mean, we before it was just actively like grabbing everything it could and trying to make something out of whatever it had, and here we see through experimentation, they're grafting it to people with weak immune systems, right, with bombs to try and make soldiers of some sort right but that's uh, not the work of the it's not the work of the protomolecule on venus no but but they're it's, connected. it's connected because of protomolecule and so anytime one of these soldiers does something quote-unquote soldiers does something uh it reacts yeah well i guess they say they kind of go on about how these soldiers although they they start off as weapons for the u.n the protomolecule is constantly trying to change it into what it's supposed to be. And they have inhibitors to keep it behind. But the minute it gets a chance to start mutating rapidly and crazily the way it wants, the idea was that it, they would they all have bombs and they would blow them up. Right, but, self-destruct systems. Or, yeah, but we see it, as the story goes on, it, it learns to avoid the self-destruct system and, and, and uh, the protomolecule because it's, uh, I guess, a hive mind or whatever. Uh, it's it's learning and adapting, right? And uh, every time something happens, like you said, something on Mars happens, or 
I guess there's a ship that's taken apart by the proto-molecule. Yeah, point. dude, that was bizarre. Like, all the bolts and everything just like... Yeah, and they're like, oh, well, it knows how to make ships now. Yeah. If it See, and now I was I was under the impression that... The same impression with the, the hive mind idea, but it was also kind of being controlled by what was going on at, at Venus... Yeah. There was a connect. There, there seemed to be a connection. There. Well, there's definitely a connection. Yeah, and it's just a question of how much, how much, what was what what information was being transferred between the two. And I don't know that. Yeah. Well, we don't. I'm not sure that we get that 100. percent I mean, the the only thing we know for certain is when they're killed, it's felt on Venus. Yeah, because it reacts or yeah. surge from Venus. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that about covers characters and and uh, such. Yep. So uh what what are some favorite points of plot that you guys have? Let's talk we do gotta talk about plot because there's some so many good things in the plot. You wanna leave this one off, Jim? <laughs> um Wow, it's hard to it's hard to choose. It's uh, such a as good I said, whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ava, Ava Solara is probably, that woman fascinates me. Um, everything that was about, every time I saw her name pop up at the heading of a chapter, it's like, okay, this this is going to be good. And it always was. Um, I, I just admire this woman for her ability to see a problem, try to fix it, maybe get in trouble, and then land on her feet again. Just all the time and to me her story is probably the best (laughs) it really comes off as you know how is she gonna survive and make her next move in the game Mm -hmm. it comes down to that it's almost it's, it's almost a political thriller in that way yeah and then when she allies herself with a real survivor in bobby draper I mean, this is this is a duo. I just love the way Bobby would just absolutely slap her down every time she had an opening. I mean, didn't even. I mean, at numerous times was bordering on blatant disrespect. And Avicelara, you know, realized that uh, Bobby was telling the truth all the time. And she couldn't deny it, so you know it's like, yep, you're right. And she, and she, <laughs> I am she, this. Yeah, she needed that. Yeah, you know. And and they are quite the dynamic duo. I sure, I sure would like to see them interact more in the next books. Yeah. Don't spoil it, Scott. Don't spoil it. <laughs> uh, I won't. He's struggling okay. so hard right now. <laughs> no, no. Keep um, that mouth shut. Yeah, no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Don't be too angry. <laughs> I I favorite parts, man. It's so hard. It's just I love the book. Like, the, yeah, I mean, oh, there there are some oh, great thing. like Bobby, you know, working her way up the ship to like take over the ship that her and Abasar are trapped on. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Holden and uh, Amos working them away with Prax to kind of figure out where the proto molecule or the daughters being kept and them escaping and that yeah. whole scene. Um, but I think okay, so I think for me, favorite favorite plot points. 
because the action was so good, it, it's all kind of equal. So for me, like things that stand out were more of the personal moments. Like, like when Bobby's working through her PTSD and she's rewatch, she, she, she realizes she needs to learn from the attack and forces herself to watch her point of view of her friends dying over and over and over again to watch and learn about the protomolecule monster and how it works. And, and yeah, uh, I mean, tough. that really gives her the upper hand in the end. And it's just, it's like, like that and how, and I, I really loved all the moments where they were trying to figure something out and Prax was just in the background, like kind of oblivious to what was really going on. But then he turns around and he's like, Oh, well it's acting like it's acting like this thing, you know, he comes out for, out of it like from a weird angle, but he's got this totally thing that makes total sense somehow. Right. Because he's how, a biologist, right? Yeah. So yeah. he's looking at it from that point of view. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, every character is so essential in in the storytelling of this plot, and either creates either you're meant to hate them, or love them, or they create, or you're not sure at first. Like Abasarla, you encounter her, you aren't sure if you're supposed to like her at first. Yeah, I mean, she comes off as a uh, you know pretty big heart, heart, you know, a hard headed character. Uh, you end up liking her. I agree. It's difficult to pull moments uh, because I, I think the it, the story holds together so well. Yeah, but someone pulled some moments in the form of quotes. Oh yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I know we used to do, we used to do quotes. Did we do this for the Dune Saga podcast more than anything? I don't yeah. know that we did it in this podcast so much, but but I do have yeah. three quotes. I have three quotes. Okay. So first quote is. I don't know. It was either Holden or Amos said it. I can't fight pirates without coffee. Yeah, I think that was Holden in the beginning because the coffee <laughs> machine wasn't working. Yeah, yeah, I can't fight it. And then this next one's by Abusala. If life and he, she's speaking to her husband, if life transcends death, then I will seek for you there, and if not, then there too. I think that's a very sweet moment. I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And this next one was. Regarding Prax, it was about Prax. There was a relentless forward motion to the man. The universe might knock him down over and over again, but unless he was dead, he'd just keep up, keep getting up and shuffling ahead toward his goal. Holden thought he had probably been a very good scientist, thrilled by small victories, undeterred by setbacks, plodding along until he got where he needed to be. Yeah. I do think that that's a great description of. And, Boy, it is. That's perfect. And maybe of Holden, too, to some degree. But uh, certainly a Prax in this book. So those are my three quotes. Yeah. Yeah. But I like Campfire Pirates without coffee. That's my favorite. Thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get that quote on a shirt. <laughs> so You should. Yeah. You should. Um, excuse me. I'm trying to think of anything else we need to cover here. I mean, you have themes, but I mean, we kind of uh, kind of covered some. Kind of, of cover some of that. I mean, um, I don't think we have any feedback on this one. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, let's let's move into, I guess, our closing thoughts. Closing thoughts and ratings. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and uh, start with you, Scott. Closing thoughts 
we'll do our traditional closing thoughts. Would you recommend the book, and would you recommend the book to a new sci-fi reader? Would you re- let's go? Let's let's, then, let's change me- that last one. Knowing what you know now of the series, would you recommend the series to a new sci-fi? Yeah, reader? because you can't recommend the book right. by itself because you have to read almost the first book to get. It. Right. So, uh, and do you want me to give a rating to it as well? And, and then yeah, out of five and, stars. okay. So, yeah. um, so number one, did I like the book? I think it's pretty obvious through our conversation that I absolutely loved the book so much so that again, as I mentioned before, I'm on book five, enjoying mm-hmm. it. And I do want to go back and watch The Expanse, but I'm much more interested in the literary world because the book's just phenomenal. Um, so I'm, I, I, lo- I love it. Would I recommend it to a new sci-fi reader or someone that is not necessarily sci-fi? And it would be the question has to be for the series. And I would say yes, because while it's set in space, it is much more of a political thriller than it is us shooting each other with lasers, blasters, and mm-hmm. photon torpedoes. I mean, it, there's none of that stuff. I mean, there's some of that stuff there, but it's not. The crux is the characters, what's going on in the characters, their relationships, and trying to help solve a situation and figure a situation out. Yeah. It's like a big mystery. Yeah. And so for me, if I look at the science fiction books that I read, this is much more accessible to a non-sci-fi person. Yeah. But even to a sci-fi person, I would say that this comes off as being hard sci-fi, sci-fi based with some very realistic principles. And it's not your it's not so fantasy driven. So hands down, the answer is yes, I would recommend it to someone, either a sci-fi lover or a non-sci-fi lover. This okay. book has to be in their reading list. Okay. In fact, I just recommended it this morning. I was talking to my brother about it. So wow. So, he, didn't, he didn't hang up on you? No, no. He actually did read the first one, but it was a while ago. So I was saying, you got to stick with the series. It's awesome. But, <laughs> um, so th- this book, hands down, is a five. Right? Okay. Cool. Cool. Jimbo, how about you? All right. Yeah. Um, I like character-driven stories a lot. And with, especially in stories that, that center on characters and people that I can really care about. And the characters in this book are real people to me. They're, they're, you know, they're just, oh, wow. Uh, how do I say it? They, they're, they're so present that, that I could almost believe that this is a real story being, being told. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and there are people I do care deeply about, uh, you know, Prax, grew on me and I was I was right in there rooting for the guy to find his kid and and you know I was right next to Amos going to do going to help him do whatever I possibly could to, <laughs> to help him find his kid uh Avicelara, of course I've already talked about her and and I have a great deal of respect for this woman and I, I if she's got any job openings I'll take one you need to hi- yeah. you need to hire her as the new superintendent of your school. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can handle that, man. <laughs> oh man! But um, yeah, uh, would I recommend it? Yes, I would. Uh, I would recommend the series thus far 
uh, I'm, you know, going to hold reserve judgment because there are more books. Right. Uh, even though, even though on the outset I did say that that I liked uh, the first book of the series better better than this one, it isn't that much, and I'm going to also give this a five. Okay. Easily. And now, now, your recommendation is that both to sci-fi and a non-sci-fi reader. Ooh, um, okay. I I think that um, a non-sci-fi reader, someone who, who, if I was to say to them, you know, here's something you should look at. Maybe it's something you want to get into. They might they might find the uh, monsters a bit hokey. Yeah, and the idea of the of the protomotic molecule and things like that. I, I think they might find it a little too too hokey. Um, you know, unless, unless they real, really enjoy really good character development as I do, uh, I might not recommend this to someone who, who has not, uh, read a lot of science fiction. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to just right off the bat say it's going to get a five for me and two. So this is our, our second book to get full five ratings from all three of us did the first foot did the first book get full five that was that was our first book ever to get full five um yeah and i love this book i thought it was the character development amazing i i agree with what what you said jim about um i agree with what you said about the uh characters feeling very real i felt like their growth felt not only realistic in where they wound up, but the pacing of which it happened seemed realistic. It was no like miracle situation or anything that changed these people. Uh, it was very slow over time. Uh, none of them really got annoying to me. Prax was a little bit at the beginning, but I mean, it's because he was a, he was in a manic position. Um, I love, like I said earlier, I love like a crew coming together and the potential of these people either returning or staying out as permanent crew. I thought that was great. Um, would I recommend it to a sci-fi reader? 110%. Um, my first book to recommend would be Dune. And then if they kind of shut that down because it's too heady, I would say then read The Expanse. Um, would I recommend it to a non-sci-fi reader? Man, I was really thinking about this, especially when you guys were talking about it. And, I feel like this second book is very approachable from a non-sci-fi uh, perspective. The first book, a lot harder because a lot more proto-molecule shenanigans going on. I think it's slow. If it was someone I knew who liked zombies, I would. Then I would because it's kind of got zombies yeah, in it. Yeah, it's a little bit of zombies. Yeah. Um, they'd really have to like character design. I think if if I found out they were like, oh, I'm not a big sci-fi person, but then they, you know. They just ca- they casually mentioned, oh, you know, like Serenity or anything with that, like people coming together on a ship. Then I would say, try it, just give it, give it a go and see what happens. So it's, it's a heavy maybe for me on that one. But again, five out of five, um, great book. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to read the third one. I am not jumping ahead like Scott and, <laughs> and, and I wanted to, but I realized that if I pace myself with how we read, if we're going to read them, if something happens and we don't, I'm going to read it on my own. But um, if I do that, I'm going to enjoy the characters more. If I rush, 
and just fill my head with just these characters, I'll get tired of them. Well, mm. maybe not, but I don't want to open I'm that not. door. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like yeah. when I read the uh, Sword of Truth series, I never really got tired of those characters. But looking back, I'm like, oh, just months of just those characters. That was it. I am anyway. thinking about that. So I'm actually glad that we, uh, that we have our next book, which is not because it's going to force me out of, a, out of the uh, Holden universe. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, so our next book is that got voted by you guys was Night of the Word, Word of the Void, book two. We read the first one. Uh, two months ago, and uh, so by Terry Brooks, yeah, and so we're continuing that series, yep, and and hopefully if we're going to do the second one, we need to uh, hopefully do the third one, and then after that, I'm okay with leaving Terry Brooks al- uh, alone for a while, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but and especially <laughs> after reading James S. A. Corey, you're just like, holy Hannah, yeah, there's there's no comparison to the depth of characters, yeah, um, not not here at least. Yeah, early Brooks, I would say, but not not Brooks that. But we're currently reading. We're currently reading. So. Yeah, well, it'll be an adventure. Yeah. So we will be having a sci-fi poll going up. Absolutely, during, during our fantasy month. Of course, you vote for the next sci-fi book, right? Um, and on this poll, we got a couple of a uh, couple of books for you. So Mars by Ben Bova, good book, by the uh, way. I'm not familiar with it. I read all. it a, a long time ago. Okay. So so there you go. And of course we did uh, Abaddon's Gate, which is book three of book the three, Expanse yep. by James S. A. Corey. Um Split Second by Douglas E. Richards. Not familiar with that one. All either. I know is apparently scientists discover a way to go backwards in time a split second. Oh. And someone figures out how to exploit that and then tries to take that over that technology. Wow. That's all I know. Wow. Okay. And then The Fifth Wave by Rick Yancey. So that's one that I'm familiar with. So familiar with it. Okay. Well, I mean, those are awesome. Please go to the, the um, orbitalsword.com and click on the decide what we read tab to vote away. Uh, we look forward to what probably won't be too heated since I'm thinking the expanse should win. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Uh, but you never know. It's always a journey. Um, of course, you can always hit us up facebook.com slash the orbital sword or on Twitter. Uh, at Orbital Sword, and uh, you can shoot us an email, and our email is Scott. Uh, orbital the Orbital Sword at gmail dot com, and you can also hit us up on a voicemail at one two six zero five seven seven chat. That's one two six zero five seven seven C H A T. I'm just gonna say no. I'd say it was two four two eight. Yeah. Awesome. Of course, we want to thank our great supporters over at Patreon. You can hit up absolutely patreon.com slash the orbital sword. Uh, We're on Twitter and Facebook. Yep. That's uh, great ways to communicate with us. And uh, Scott's been doing awesome with posting Flashback Friday stuff. Yeah, for the, uh, a lot of Dune stuff. I've a lot of, lot of Dune stuff. Um, but uh, we've been at this for quite some time over on this one now. We have. So, uh, good. Yeah, we, have a, we have quite a bank of books that we've uh, talked about. Yeah. So. so. So join us next time for uh, A Night of the Word by Terry Brooks. And so once again from the Orbital Sword, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time aboard the Orbital Sword. If I go to the sky, I will always see your smile. I will always see your smile. You're the 